0: Hi, and welcome to Serenity Now, a place for entrepreneurs to ask questions, learn, get connected, and be inspired. Join us as we talk about all things business and the search for the ever-elusive Serenity Now in both business and personal life. In this episode, we have Katie and Claire of Friendly Composting an innovative company that serves those who need compost pickup services in their region. Katie and Claire are not only business owners, but also students. This is the first episode of a unique format where Serenity Now for Entrepreneur panelists serve as a sounding board for questions, discuss concerns, and propose tangible steps that business owners can take to elevate their business. We will be chatting about financial options, including loans, and grants, and the importance of understanding cash flow and costing. If you are a startup business seeking guidance to take your company to the next level, this is a great episode for you. Let's take a listen.
1: Tonight we have Friendly Composting, Claire and Katie as our guests, and we have Glenn from BFL Canada listening in.
2: So I'm Claire from Friendly Composting, and this is Katie, and we started up in Kamloops a weekly compost pickup service for residents and also commercial and then additionally we do local product delivery to our our composters as well.
3: So each week we uh, provide or we provide a recycled compost bin to our composters and each week we go around and collect them leaving them a clean bin behind and then they have an opportunity to um, shop all of our local products and we deliver those goods on their compost pickup day.
0: Thank you, ladies. I'm so glad to have you here. Um, and so we're going to start off with some very basic questions about startup financing, because I think with COVID and you know just people also assessing whether or not they want to stay in corporate, many businesses are starting up. Um, so one of the questions that you had was uh, to do had to do with getting funding as a startup. And we're super lucky because we've got Rita on the call who um, actually goes into financing. So, Rita, give us a a little bit of an idea of what type of funding as a startup um, people should expect to be able to have access to. Um, And then I'll jump in after that with um, my perspective on grants.
4: It's kind of the scariest question of all time, right, is asking about finance. When it comes to startup financing, I'm going to say it's it's a little tough out there. It's always been a bit tough, but now it's even tougher with what's happening in the marketplace. Uh, so when it comes down to startup financing, the biggest thing I would recommend that you do is really understand your position. And that means who you are. As a company, I'll let some of the other folks take that away later as you get, to get into more details. But the big piece is your budget and understanding. So you're in the compost business. So it sounds like you are taking bins to people. So I'm sure there's a cost to the bins. So understanding what those are and how many bins you require uh, on a weekly basis and as you expand. And then you also need to understand what are your other costs that are involved in this so there's gas there's fuel there's uh expenses i don't know how you're getting to and from and such Uh, so listing out an entire uh, understanding of your budget and your startup costs and then from there what you also want to do is understand a little bit of how you're going to actually make some cash so something called a cash flow forecast and You basically start writing down, well, if I sell this to this person, and then how many times over per month, and then when I collect my money. Uh, And so you kind of are able to chart out potentially something like projections, which tell you month by month how much might be coming in. And then based on what's coming in versus what's going out, you'll be able to have something at the end. And that number at the end is what we call your kind of end cash flow. And that's what you use to service any debt you're requesting. So if you're requesting $100,000, <laughs> you can request it in the form of many different vehicles. But in the case of some of the startups, you you might need a term loan. So it's just a, it's a dump of funds that go in, and it's over a number of years with a rate of interest. So it's a declining balance. The other option is potentially a, a line of credit, which is akin to working capital. So it kind of goes up and down. As you utilize it, as so funds come in, but then you have to pay things out, and then it just goes up and down. Uh, and then, and then there's other things like credit cards. But the first and foremost piece of startup financing comes from you, mm-hmm. each of you. <laughs> and so, blood, sweat, tears, and your own cash, and in kind, and you know it. I'm sure you know it. You've lived through it. But those are some of your, your first pieces. Once you have some of those pieces established and understand that, then you can go walk into some different areas of requests for funding. And there are some specific institutions, uh, some potential grants. I'll let Stephanie speak to that on there. Uh, But I'll I'll just pause now and leave it uh, back to Stephanie.
0: Rita, let me ask you a clarifying question, because I think this is something that often is challenged with entrepreneurs. Is Would you say that these lines of credits and these term loans are things that startup businesses actually can access?
4: You know, uh, what most people will tell you if you're kind of asking questions out there from standard institutions, they're going to say no. The answer is no. You have to wait two years before we'd even look at you to prove that you're established, that you've got something running and on the ground. What can I tell you who's done this and have worked with just over 10,000 companies? You can do it right off the cuff, as long as you have your setup correct, which is what I was discussing earlier, your budget, understanding of your costs, understanding of your cash flow. You have a tight understanding of all of that. And, And these are not just like, I'm just picking numbers from the air. No, I have real qualified understanding and assumptions. And I put that into some projections. Uh, there's a lot more to it, but I'll just try and keep it as simple as that.
0: Yeah, so I'll speak a little bit because my line of business is in grants, and then I'll turn to Peggy and chat about, you know, the tax credit side of things in a minute as well, but definitely on hiring. And so probably both of you are looking at potentially hiring people. Lots of different programs out there that would bring in um, the demographic that the government is looking to support. So I tend to work more on government grants. So those would be the, uh, like students is an is a excellent program to look at interns and co-ops. Maybe your business is more seasonal at times. And so you'll find that gives you a little bit more flexibility. And some of these grants are 50 to 75%. We've even seen 100% of wages covered. Um, and then there's other ones for those in post-secondary and after they've graduated. But many of the grants are geared to those under the age of 30. Oh. And so Peggy, I don't know for this line of business if tax credits would come in but maybe um you also have seen other creative ways of getting some financing as a startup i'll let you speak on that
1: um no i unless you guys are doing some work in establishing a new process or a new product uh, i don't see that there would be any thread grant is what i work in and that's a tax credit but um, I'm thinking that because of the nature of what you're doing, falling into sort of the agriculture and um, you know clean air, clean water, all that, there might be some grants with the SDTC, which is a um, program that we should talk about, Claire and Katie, because um, really it, it's about reducing uh, harmful, agents in the air, the water, or the environment. So um, that is something that the government actually gives you a big load of cash if you are successful in obtaining that grant. And it's really about writing a good application. Um, just to, you have, I think, um, in one of your questions, um, you know, how do you get this money? who do you go to, how, how does it work? Both Stephanie's company and mine, when we work on grants for companies, we work on a percentage of our success. So we will, I mean, sometimes there's an application fee that you may have to pay for certain grants, but for the most part, um, we're the kind of um, service that once we identify your needs, we look for what might fit for you, we do the application, and when successful, you pay us. So it's a win-win, especially for um, companies that are startups and people looking for money. Often that's the only way they can engage us. So um, Mm -hmm. that's a good possibility for you too.
3: Is it common for yeah. companies um, who help with grants to ask for money upfront, is that common or is it mostly pay out, paid out once the grants are obtained?
0: Um, It does depend. So certain grants, you actually can't take a success fee on. There's a limited number that you can. um, But typically, it depends on the level of service. And so for us, um, we tend not to work with as many startups at Granted. um, But it is, And and so as a result, we work with companies that are a little bit more established. And so we do take an upfront fee, but we also take a success-based fee. And so we balance that out a little bit. Um, I think the key thing, though, is for you to identify Exactly what you're looking for. Is it a full-time hire? Is it someone who's just seasonal? Um, and then from there, there's a lot of resources out there that um, can point you towards different grant programs. Um, I will just mention before I turn to Candice um, to talk about ca- positive cash flow is you should expect that grants are not paid up front. And so I think also with Peggy's uh, line of work, she'll be able to you know speak on that later as well. But a lot of it is you do need to cash carry and cash um, forward the the funding so that you have you know, you have that cash flow available to pay someone on payroll and then usually halfway through or at the end of the program, you can um, you can collect on the grant. And so that's something that is really, you know, quite different from what people expect. They think there's a pot of gold out there for female and, you know, different uh, demographics, youth, um, and that, oh, where's the money? I, they should be giving me 10,000 or 20,000 to just be a startup. And the, unfortunately, it doesn't quite work like that. So just keep that in mind. Uh, but speaking of accounting, We've got Candice on the call. And I'd love to understand a little bit more um, for Claire and Katie on evaluating and working towards pa- positive cash flow, because that is absolutely your area, especially at the startup stage. Want to chat on that?
5: So of it, so there's no magic to having positive cash flow. The cash has to come from loans, your pockets, or profits. So, But the important thing is what you do with that cash once you receive it. The businesses that i see that do not do well do not understand where their money is coming from and where it needs to go all of a sudden they see an influx of cash into the bank account and think it's
2: christmas (laughs) it was just christmas
5: exactly exactly but they think it's christmas and that they get to buy all the presents Um, and then April rolls around and I have to give them the bad news that, that the good news is, is that yes, they made money, but the bad news is, is now there's a tax bill due. Um, and, and they did not plan for that. So then they end actually end up in a worse off position than they would have been if they understood where their money was coming from and where it needed to go. So be very skeptical when you start having cash in the bank, make sure you understand where your money needs to go before You start spending it um, and keep your personal finances absolutely separate from the business. If you if you think you are profitable enough to be able to draw some sort of earnings from the company, draw the earnings, put it in your own bank account. Don't spend money from the company bank account. Keep it absolutely separate because otherwise you will not understand where your money is coming from and where it needs to go.
0: Yeah, and I'd love to hear Nina's um, kind of approach on, because you started, Nina, a couple of businesses and being our marketing guru here. um, You know, you kind of, it's starting up, you really need to be careful where you're spending your funding. So what would you say about your experience in working towards positive cash flow and especially at the startup stage? So,
6: yeah, everyone's um, had really great thoughts on this so far. So what I, I would say to you guys is, um, just talking about what Candace said, where the money is coming from. So understanding that and what portion of it is yours. So you have something called funds and trust. That's your GST. So that is not your money. You do not spend it. So that gets put aside. First of all, your taxes need to be put aside, what you think you're going to be paying. Having more set aside at, at, at the beginning is better. And it's a mistake that almost every startup entrepreneur makes. So you just have money coming in, you just go, okay, great, I can go and buy these new business cards, or I can update my website, or I can do all this stuff, because there's so much you want to do. And I totally understand that. But you have to take those small steps. And in today's world, everything is insta, instant, we want instant success, we want instant recognition, we want instant a recognition for, hey, we've got this great company and everyone should know about it and everyone should be a part of it. It just doesn't quite work that way. You have to have your target market. You have to know. You have to spend wisely. You have to save wisely. So there's a lot of those things where you have to rein yourself in a bit. So controlled growth is a really, really important thing um, in in the success of my companies.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting because as when I started up my business, I found it actually very difficult to forecast my cash flow. And so I think with your business, unless you have standard customers that are kind of recurring every month, it might be a little bit of a challenge as well. Um, so making sure that you also keep, you know, a certain percentage, maybe 20% of your cash aside, um, you know, minus all the taxes and things that you are already keeping aside, just to have a little bit of a buffer there is going to be helpful as well. Um, so let's talk about, yeah, this balance of the, you know, Candace mentioned personal finances, um, and then you're tied to the business and then how do you make sure that that stays separate? So I'm actually going to go back to Candace and then over to Peggy to chat a little bit about that.
5: So, yeah, so keeping your finances separate, I alluded to that and, and basically the trick is, is that the money that's in the business account doesn't belong to you. Yes, it belongs to you, but it doesn't belong to you. So... If you need to put money into the bu- business, put money into the business account. Don't spend from your personal account for the business and don't spend from the business account for your personal life. So if the money, if the company needs to give you money, it needs to be transferred to your personal account so you can spend it there. And if you g- need to give the mu- business money, you need to transfer the money from your personal account and spend it from there. That is the If that's the only thing you remember, it will take you far. I have businesses where I... You know the the people are retiring. I'm still struggling with this. So and <laughs> <laughs> the only way I yeah. made headway is when they they had a GST audit and they got assessed for two million dollars. They did they owed they ended up owing two thousand dollars, but they were assessed two million dollars just because CRA saw all the money going in and out of the bank account and assumed it was income. So we had to trace oh, it all. Okay. So that's a horror
0: story, obviously,
5: <laughs> but it happens. So.
0: Mm-hmm. A tip on my end before I pass it off to um, Peggy is I have a separate credit card and debit card, separate completely for my business expenses versus my personal. And you have to be really careful. You can't be like, oh, I'm at Costco. And so this is my personal card, but I'm buying business stuff. And so I'm just going to charge it here anyway. Like you just have to be really careful about how you do that. And so that I think will also help your accounting and help you understand what's actually available for your business
1: one thing that I wanted to mention is, you know, when you're a startup, um, you know, your own resources take you so far and, you know, you do get that confusion between personal and business. And I've seen some catastrophes in, in, in that area. But, you know, you got to you've got to play that out. So where can a startup look for cash? I just want to mention the monster in the room is, is people who want to invest in your company. I think every person in this room is going to tell you, be very, very wary of someone who, who comes offering, you know, cash. It is one of the failures that I have seen in so many of my clients where um, someone swings in and because you're desperate, you say yes to the offer and and the terms of that offer, you know, sometimes we're naive when we start in business, it just all sounds so glorious. But at the end of the day, we end up with a partner that we can't live with and someone who has a hidden agenda to use your great idea to advance their own wealth. So personal, private investment, you know, most people turn to family members, but there's always these people with these, I don't know how you describe someone like that, but ulterior motives. And I've seen so many of my young clients, especially in the area of software, where, you know, everybody's hey there, hi there, ho there in that business. I mean, they're just downtown shaking hands and and trying to stir up funds. And, and there's some good kind of bad, creepy kind of investors out there who are not working towards the betterment of the company. They're actually in it for their own betterment. So just a word to the wise.
0: Yeah. And let's, let's turn to Rita for a talk about this because, you know, definitely we want to hear about the personal finance side and how to separate that out, um, and the importance of it when you're going after loans and, um, other, you know, financial vehicles to, um, to leverage. But I'd also love to hear a little bit about how do you protect yourself or how should a company protect themselves? If someone goes to Katie and Claire and says, Hey, we'd love to dump $50,000 in and it's not a parent or if it's not a, you know, a, a brother or sister or someone that they know very well, with, or even if they, if it is.
1: What is your financial need right now? Like, is there something you guys need for your business that would require financing? Maybe we can talk directly sure. about your
2: business. We really, really, really need, like, an actual garbage truck, like, with a little sidearm that lifts up bins and dumps it. Yeah. And so we've been, we are kind of, well, we have kind of are halfway through the process of building our cash flows. We got some, um we're going through futurepreneur doing that right now. So I had like a video call with them and got a bit of feedback. So i are working on those and hopefully submitting it over this week off that we have.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then and then kind yeah, of and then employees. We've we've hired on yeah just in order in order to grow. The nature of our business is um we I mean we launched in March. We had about eleven or 11 to 15 composters who were friends and then now we've got, we're nearing in about 475 homes that we pick up for every week um, who pay us a monthly subscription. And then we have about between 60 to 80 orders every week for local products. And those average from about $15 an order to like $200 for an order for goods. Um, and so having almost 500 homes now, we need more drivers and we need employees. And so we could really use some money to help with that because we are managing and we're paying them as like subcontractors. So we know how much it's going to cost us. They're not being paid hourly, Um, but it is. Yeah, that definitely is expensive to bring more people on and we're not paying ourselves yet. So it's like hard to like find that, that balance.
4: Yeah. Okay. So so number one, I would say congratulations. That's pretty incredible growth from zero to 500. Is that what I'm hearing? I think that's, 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 and it's on a monthly subscription. So then you've got recurring revenue coming through. And you mentioned something about products that you're also selling. So you're buying from other local companies and then selling their product as well. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So There's a bunch of different ways to do financing. So you said right now the greatest need is the finance for the truck. So I'm just going to take a step back for a moment and go, you know, sometimes when you're buying from suppliers, so the suppliers of these products that you're reselling, you can get terms with them terms give you actually financing. So it could be, they might say, well, you're too young. I'm not giving you any terms. But you know what, if you call them every single week and say, can I get 30 days? Can I get 30 days? Can I get 30 days? (laughs) Eventually, they might cave and say, okay, I'll give you five days. And then I'll give you 10. And then I'll give you 15. But you just got to keep calling and as you build that relationship. So that's one way is to help with understanding how your uh, you know cash flow works, and then on the other side, of course, your receivables you're you're collecting it on a monthly basis, right? So that that seems to be working out quite well. So you're doing all the work, but you collect it on the on the first of every month. Yeah. Well, actually, um, we get
3: we have it coming in throughout the month, so everyone's on a four week cycle. So we've got kind of it coming in every week, pretty, pretty much. <laughs>
4: yeah. Yeah. Well done. Well done. So I think that that in itself, you guys strategize quite well with And when it comes to a truck, there's a couple of different options. And I'm sure Candace will chime in. But there's there's a few different options. You can buy it, uh, you know, and then it becomes an asset for you and it sits on your books and, and, and it's yours. Uh, but if you there's another option and, and, and that first option where you buy it, you get a loan. Right. You get a loan for the actual vehicle and it's the full amount and um, and and it's your asset. The other option is leasing it. Have you guys considered that? No,
5: no, I was I was going to say leasing as well that I've seen that a lot right now is where you because technically they still own the vehicle. But you are you are paying them a monthly fee, pretty much the same way you would be as if you had a loan against it. And then there's a buyout at the end of the thing, so that you can eventually own the product. But it's less risk for them because they don't have to go through the hassle of trying to get the product, the equipment back if you default on it. So
4: right, yeah, I find that the leasing companies right now are they're jumping in with are, like feet, yeah heads you name it they're all over it so you may want to really consider that option not to mention in a year or so or two years depending on what your terms are looking like for the leasing option you might have outgrown that you don't want it anymore and now you're going to have this asset that you're going to have to figure out how to sell or get rid of or you know it could be a backup of course but But sometimes you look at these other alternative options and say, well, I don't actually need all this money up front. I'm just doing a monthly payment and try to tie it in with your cash flow that you have that's recurring. So those are some things you may want to consider looking at um, as options. Now, Stephanie also asked me a a question (laughs) about somebody who wants to. Dump in money to your company well the the first answer is always like you don't say no to money right <laughs> that's always the first answer everybody says like what how could that be wrong but but i always say whether it's getting uh you know a loan from a bank or working with a leasing company or getting money from investors what are the terms and conditions of that because there's always some terms and conditions and so the first thing you say oh well you have to pay it back yeah but but it's not just pay it back, it's how fast you have to pay it back or, and or what else comes alongside of it. So always say hello. That's my first thing. <laughs> always say hello. The next thing is never share any information until you actually have a non-disclosure agreement in place so that if you are, if they are serious, they're going to be actually able to review it, sign it, and then you're okay to start sharing some information. You still don't need to share everything. And then from there, you turn around and say, well, what what is it that you will bring to the table? Because sometimes you want some silent people, basically, give me the money, go away. I don't want to talk to you and don't interrupt my style and how I'm running the business. Other times you want more of a strategic support where you say, I'm actually not well versed in this area and I know we need to focus there. So if you can bring that skill set to the table, we'll take your money and your skill (laughs) set. and Let's keep running. But, but there's different ways to review that. Some people say, I'll give you some funds and, you know, there's a rate of interest or there's a dividend. But you really need to understand the terms and conditions. And so, so really, just have a frank and open conversation. What, what's the return? What do you want in return? And, you know, you also have to look at yourselves and say, what do I need? What do I want in return? And, and so I think that a lot of us have been approached on the panel and we've had uh, some interesting and some not so interesting times with uh, partners and shareholders Uh, and so we're all a bit gun shy (laughs) very much so and so the other part of the whole piece is do you want to dilute your company Uh, you know what part of that uh, you know is is yours and what's theirs it's it's nice when you've done all the work and you're you know, because you're now out of funds, but you've done all the work all the way through, and then at the eleventh hour, someone rings the bell and says, "Hi, I'm here," and you're yeah. so desperate, you just say yes without reviewing. And 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 that's the time when you call one of us. Please call one of us; <laughs> and we'll all take the call. Uh, you know, that's that's the scariest moment of all. So ho- hopefully, that gives a bit of understanding.
3: It does. Yeah. Thank you.
0: So, Let's, let's talk about this leasing versus, you know, actually buying out and, and whatnot, because I think leasing is being a newer term for you. And, and Nina, I'll have you jump in in a minute because you buy equipment for your business as well. But Candice, tell us a little bit about why lease versus why pay it out versus just buying it or, you know, getting a loan for it. What, what are your thoughts briefly on that? Well, historically we I've suggested
5: people gravitate toward leasing when leasing they, when they have an asset that they don't necessarily want to keep at the end um, because the you know you know like if you use a car as an example, if you're the type of person that buys a car and you lease it and then at the end of the four one four year term, you plan on paying the buyout and then you either have to borrow the funds and finance that buyout for that car. Um, or, or you have to you know, take some money from somewhere else and have an opportunity cost for that, those funds, then you usually end up, and, and then you drive the car for another five or six years, then you've, you've probably paid more for the car than you would have if you just purchased just outright to begin with. So leasing in that, in that scenario doesn't make sense. But if you have an asset that that very likely will need to be replaced at the end of its lease term whether it's because that's your choice or because it makes you know financial sense to do so and a garbage truck i could see possibly makes garb sense to do so i'm guessing they get beat up a bit there's maintenance costs that escalate the longer you own that vehicle um and you know like the the inspection costs go up and all that kind of stuff so Um, Leasing may make more sense because it like, like Rita said, at the end of the term, you don't have to figure out who to sell the garbage truck to your worn out garbage truck, you can just hand it back to the leasing company, it's their problem. And then you can turn around and start another lease. And then that way you're refreshing your equipment. which sounds, it might sound a little decadent, but if you think of it from a maintenance point of view, it may not be. It's one of those things where you'd have to seriously look at the numbers and the forecast and see which one makes sense. But the leasing will be a little bit easier, I think, to get than the, the traditional finance loan because the title of the asset remains
0: with the lessor. And I do find with leases, they tend to charge a little bit more than what you would typically yeah. pay on a monthly so that they also know that they're gonna make some money out of it. We're gonna to go to Nina to tell us a little bit about kind of her business and how she bought equipment. Then we'll go back to Rita again um, to chat about this.
6: So just one other thing on leasing on vehicles, you just have to look at the terms really carefully, especially kilometers. So if you guys are driving, that's what you're doing with your vehicle. Um, There's sometimes penalties for going over a certain amount of kilometers. So just make sure you actually read the fine print. Um, As far as equipment goes, my company, um, we do airbrush tattoos and body painting. So I buy a lot of equipment for airbrushing, compressors, that kind of thing. So there's the daily use equipment. And so what I did really early on, I'm in year 16, so I'm a little further along than you guys, um, is that we became a distributor of Iwata, which is the best airbrushing equipment in the world. So, <laughs> so we then, instead of paying retail, we pay wholesale. So it's fantastic for us. And then we're able to resell. Now I was at a point in my business where I was buying as much as a small art store would. So it was fine because I didn't really have to sell at all to anyone else. My company was buying enough that we met the requirements for wholesale and, and, and having that distribution agreement with them. So, you know, sometimes you have to get a little creative and look (laughs) at those options when you're a young company, right? Like you have to find out ways where you can get those lower costs. What can you do? Right. So, um, so there's the things that you're going to use every day in your business that you're going to get a return on your investment with. So I'm using my airbrush guns every day as a service, like you guys are, and then I, that uh, that piece of equipment makes money for me. When my compressor is humming, I'm a happy gal, right? Because that means dollars in my pocket, right? So, so you have to learn to equate that. Now, there's other things like computers, cars, those kinds of things where it's not an instant return on your investment. It's something you need in your company to run your company. So you just have to figure out where your money needs to go for you to run your business at the level you want to get that money coming in. And then things like um, your bins, just for me, I've always bought the best quality that I could so that I'm not wasting money. So a lot of times when people get into airbrushing or, or that kind of work or any kind of service, they sometimes will go for the cheaper equipment. And I just don't think it's worth it.
3: Well, our kind of mission since the beginning has to try to be zero waste. So all of them are recycled and Claire and I like have de-labeled and cleaned all of these bins. They used to be chocolate containers. So we got a thousand of them and um, those are all cycled through now. But we're having a hard time sourcing more. Um, we found some that don't have a great lid. So like those are not great for the customer experience and our drivers and volunteers who have to open them every week. So sourcing more of those is kind of next on. And if we can't go the recycled root, then we really need to consider, like you said, like getting really good quality ones that will last. Um, so they can be used forever, hopefully. Well, um, yeah,
6: and you could always get um, bins that are made out of a recycled material. So there's yeah, two ways
3: to look at it, right? Like it doesn't... Yeah, need more to get that type of product at the beginning, I guess.
2: Yeah. For right now, we're just hassling Purdy's chocolates. Yeah.
3: And then obviously with our commercial, we need like the big rolling. We have we ordered, we kind of invested in We got 12 of them i think 10 or 12 yeah. of the big like 65 liter rolling totes for our commercial contracts and that's what we've been using to pour into our our residential into to take to the farm but um we definitely have outgrown that even now so we need more of those and we really want to i mean that's where the truck comes in because right now we're manually moving all of those and each week they're like full to the brim of food waste and so it's um, pretty backbreaking <laughs> right now. <laughs> so we want, like, we're just dreaming of the day a truck can pick them up and pour it into another place to be driven. <laughs> like, it would be really nice. So,
0: so yeah. I think we're, we're just um, almost at time here, but I'm going to let Rita. Rita, you put your hand up. Did you have something that you wanted to add before we close this out?
4: Uh, yeah, no, it was along the leasing story. I, I think that one thing to really keep in mind, though, so um, – is that every business is unique. Your business has a lot of different moving parts to say the least, and you know, kind of pun or no pun intended. Uh, so I think it's really important to really dissect each line and each revenue stream. And so each each of those line items needs to kind of stand on their own and be understood. Um, one, of, one of the big things that I really encourage you to do since you're getting some support with, uh, you know, my good friends over at Futurepreneur is really understand your costing. And if you haven't taken a moment to work on that aspect of the business, it could really, really rile up everything else in the understanding of the business. If you don't have your costing right, you don't have your margins right, means you're probably not pricing right, which means you may not be profitable and or as much as you could be. So it's really, really important to take a moment and a deep breath. I know you're working you know, crazy hours and you know, 500 clients, take a moment to step back and and work and iron out the costing really take a moment to review that budget i'm glad you have you know a week off where you're getting a chance to you know work on the business which is great uh but you know those are some of the the key pieces that i would like you to walk away with as well and when it comes to you know working on the business it's great you've reached out to a few different advisors and some support sounds like you guys have enough passion to drown all of us, which is fantastic. I love it. <laughs> Keep it up. Mm. Uh, you know, the industry that you're in is is obviously a much needed and, and a sought after understanding and in industry. Uh, I think there's more out there uh, in terms of support when it comes to either grants or institutional funds or a combination of them as well. Uh, Nina hit on something too, is don't be afraid to be creative. And I think what Peggy also said, don't be afraid to ask. It doesn't sound like you're afraid at all, but, uh, you know, <laughs> just keep asking. I think that's, that's where you're going to be. And as you, as you work on some of the different aspects of the business model, uh, you know, when it comes to your bins, uh, you're, you're begging parties, but maybe uh, look at some other way you know there's other opportunities you can work with them on and they're gonna throw out a crazy word called a joint venture and people are gonna say that's nuts you can't do stuff yes you can you can do pretty much anything just ask and that's that's the biggest trick of the trade is just asking and and then you know go for it review the risks make sure you're understanding that have a great team sounds like you've got a great team there uh but just keep it up uh you know you're Clients themselves probably would be happy to support you in many different ways. Uh, You just may not have had a chance to reach out. So uh, I'll leave it there for now.
0: Thanks, Rita. So I I do want to go through maybe five key things that we learned. Like, there's a lot of information about cash flow, and um, we talked about leasing of, um, you know, your, your trucks, um, maybe even some equipment that you need. Um, Peggy mentioned that private investments is just something to be aware of, and Rita followed up with um, things like, you know, just making sure that you understand what it is that you really want is, is going to be key to that. Um, and then costing and making sure that, you know, whether you keep your, when you keep your finances uh, personal versus business: How to manage that, but also how to um, ensure that you keep your your costs at a, a manageable level. So those are some of the lessons learned that we um, chatted about here. Um, and so I think we're going to finish off with that. So what did Katie and Claire of Friendly Composting have to say after their episode of the podcast?
2: Yeah, no, it's it's really great. It's nice to talk to people who have already done it and yeah. learn that way. Like you can. Google all you want, but to actually speak to human beings is a lot more valuable. It's like, I don't know, I feel like some of this is a little bit of an overlap of what we heard, but it's nice to hear it from people who've done it. Yeah. (laughs) And And be like, okay, that's
3: good advice. Like, I've heard it twice. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of these things you've been saying, like, Claire and I will have, like, read about or, like, just from previous experience have, like, touched on or, like, about our personal and keeping that separate and, like, all of those things we chat about a lot, but, like, actually having the time to focus and sit down and separate it and do all those little things like, and talk about it now is very helpful.
0: Sounds like Katie and Claire of Friendly Composting got some advice that resonated with them. We hope you enjoyed this episode where we explored finance options for a startup business. Remember none of the content in this podcast should be relied upon as standard legal or business advice. Always consult a professional for your specific business. You may know someone who could benefit from this podcast. Please share it with your business community and perhaps it could give an entrepreneur you know some serenity now.